Well, welcome everyone to Foothills Christian Church. If you're here on campus for the first time, we are glad you're here. We don't care what state you moved from. Your car is safe with us in the parking lot. If you're watching for the first time online, we are glad that you are checking us out. We're starting a brand new series this week, and we're kind of focusing on women. Uh, our two girl event was uh, a part of that. And like they said earlier today, that uh, if you're a woman, they come uh, from all different uh, backgrounds. Like yesterday, we had a woman's tea. And so a bunch of women came together and had a tea. And then we had another group of women go out to the shooting range. So you could do whatever was your pleasure for the day. Now, uh, one of the first things to do is whenever uh, you are going to preach, uh, particularly on women, is that you need to know what women are thinking and their input. So this is a, a QR code. I'd like you to scan that, ladies, right now with your phone. Take out your phone and scan that QR code. Just open up the camera and then go there. And underneath the little square on your camera will come up a little link and you touch that link and it'll take you to a little website that allows you uh, in a moment to give us real-time feedback in the service. So I think you'll like that. You'll be able to just say some things real quick. Also, uh, it's really important to note that uh, we want to make sure that we hear what women have to say. And so we also ask some ladies to introduce themselves and give us their input as well. Let us watch. My name is Kinsey. Um, I have been married for five years now. I have a two-year-old he just turned two this weekend, and I work part-time. I'm in ultrasound tech. Hi, my name is Jordan. I am a single college student, and I work here at Foothills. Hi, I'm Shannon, and I'm married. My husband, Mitch, and we have two kids. They're both grown, and we even have a grandson. Hi, I'm Raquel Martin, and I am a mother, and I have been married for three years. One of the biggest pressure points in my life as a woman is I feel that our value really lies in how much we do and not what we're doing. And um, I, I think though the pressure of society um, on that is my worth is basically nothing. Balancing career and motherhood and then the idea of image, the ever-changing beauty standards um, and just the sentiment that you can never live up to what people expect you to be. So these are some of the things that uh, when we ask ladies, what are some of the biggest challenges you're facing right now? So I'd like to ask you the same question. So pull out your phone and I'd kind of ask you, uh, what are some of the challenges that you are facing as a woman in today's culture? What are some of your pressure points? And they'll start to click right up here and they will show us in real time. Now, just so, so you know, if you're watching online at a later date, the QR code won't work. It only happens live. So we're doing this live right now and we're going to go to the next slide up there and it'll, it'll start to populate. So next slide up there and they'll start to populate. <laughs> next slide up there. Maybe I'm not doing the pastor swirl properly. It is beyond my control. So look at, see all the, the, all the thumbs up. That means a lot of people are saying stuff, but we're not seeing what they're saying. So not quite sure why it's doing that. Boom, exit, escape, go, boom. There you go. 
Let's see what they are. Please wait. Please, more responses. Come in now. There we go. Please, happen. Go. Work. This is so exciting. It worked first service really great. So we have 68 people that have made comments. If you look down there in the far uh, left corner in the bottom. So, well, some of the responses that we had in the first, oh, there we go. Here they are. Imposter, appearance, parenting, pleasing everyone. These are a lot of the, the challenges, uh, wifely duties, career, wow, parenting, keeping up with family, beauty, doing it all, financial, career, friends, appearance, your marriage. Okay. What else? Cleaning the house. There you go. So many responsibilities, uh, meeting my in-laws expectations, being present for it all. Wow. See how, how you see these things start populating up. They're just going to keep going and going and going. You know, one of the things that is really interesting about this series is that over the last 28 years that I've been at Foothills, I have done approximately 35 series directed to men. Okay? Then, uh, if you add the boot camps, it puts up around 50 series I've done on men. So another, a number of women that I really respect came and said, when are you going to do a series on women? You know, you've done all these series on men. And so I said to myself, you want me, a guy, to stand up here and tell women something. You know why I've done 50 series? I said, why don't we just get a bunch of ladies, you know, speakers and stuff to share? And this is something that they shared with me that I hadn't thought of. They said, look, pastor, as, as the, uh, the lead speaker in the church right now, you have a perspective that other people don't have. And we want to hear what God is saying to you about this situation. You know, we, can, we have access to all these women speakers and they're great and stuff, but we were kind of wondering what you're doing. So I just want you to know that I was brought to doing this series reluctantly. <laughs> I was reluctant. However, I would like to point out that when we pursue what God is calling us to do and we start to dig into it and research, we discover new things. And so I've discovered a lot of new things, things that God is doing. And so I hope that throughout this whole series, you are able to feel that you are hearing God's perspective, not uh, my opinion or worldly perspective. And so we want to start off with a simple question. And that is this, when you looked at all of those things up on the screen, all those pressures and how many different ones they are that women are dealing with, we have to ask ourselves, how does a woman experience fullness in life? I mean, how, with all these pressures on you and all these expectations and all these demands, how do you, as a female, can experience the fullness of life? Now, if you've been a part of Foothills for uh, 
10 years or longer, you've heard me preach on the life fulfillment equation. And this is an axiomatic truth. It comes from what is known as a primary source text in the Gospels. What does that mean? Well, when we look at the statements of Jesus, there's some statements that Jesus made that are recorded where he is making a specific point about a specific thing. It has to do with our very nature. And so you call that, man, that is a primary source text, right? Uh, It reminds me of Bear Bryant the great football coach, he started every season of practice. He would hold up a football and he would say, this is a football. And he would say, the goal of this game is to get this into that end zone. And there will be the same number of guys opposing you and trying to stop you from doing that. That's the game of football. And this is like that. This is, this is the point of life. It's called a primary source text. It's found in Luke chapter 9. It's been, it's recorded in other places, but I want to go there beginning with verse 23 and 24. And what he says is that if you want to understand the point and purpose of your life, and if you want to figure out what actually brings your life fullness, then you have to understand this equation. So I'm going to read it, verses 23 and verses 24. It says, and he was saying to them all. If anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. You need to deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow me. Why? Listen to what he says, verse 24. For whoever wishes to save their life will lose it. Isn't that interesting phraseology? In other words, like, man, if I do it all myself, then I'll get what I want. He goes, actually, no. You end up losing that game. He says, but whoever loses his life for my sake is the one who will save it. Okay, well, what does saved life look like? Well, first of all, in the Greek, the word for life is suhe, and we, if you transliterate it, meaning if you take the words and you make an English pronunciation, it's psyche, which we get the word psychology from. And in the New Testament, this word suhe meant the breath of life. So he's not just saying your biological life. What he's talking about is your whole life. He's talking about the breath of life. He's talking about your soul. Everything that makes you the you that you are. So he's saying, if you want to save your soul, okay? And this is what the equation looks like. I kind of have a little graphic up here for you to see. Is that if you want your soul to be saved, what does this mean, a saved soul? Well, the saved soul basically means that my soul has been healed and redeemed. It's been restored. I've been brought from death to life. The Bible calls this born again. It's called salvation. And so it's all of those things. And what happens is when my soul has been redeemed, then what happens is I start to experience and live in the fruit of the spirit. Galatians chapter five, 
which is what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. So it's like, wow, I want a safe soul because it's all about the most important things of life, right? It's about your, your love and joy and peace. And man, I want that. And he says, if you want that, there's an equation that you must follow to get it. Now, oftentimes we think in very linear terms. We've been trying to think, well, if I make this one decision or I do this one thing, this will happen. And God is, uh, Jesus is saying, no, it's more like cooking, right? It's more like cooking. You got to get all the stuff right. And what are the things that we need to get right? Well, he says, the first thing you have to do is follow me. So to follow him, you have to know him. You got to know who he is. You got to know what he says. You got to know what he thinks. You got to know his perspective on life. Why? Because if you're going to follow him, you're following what? His life, his perspective. So you've got to know Jesus. That's the first step. That's why in our mission statement as a church, our goal is to connect you to Jesus first. We want you to know him. We just don't want you to know about him. We want you to know him personally. Then the second thing he says is that in order to follow me, you know what you have to do in order to know, you're going to have to, to deny yourself. So you need to know yourself. And my, cause my question is, is, well, what, what do I need to deny about myself? Do I need to, de, do I deny the, the things about myself I don't like, or do I deny the things about myself I do like? Uh, some people think, well, you need to deny everything about yourself. There's nothing good. You know, you're, you, you got to think very poorly. You're lower than a snake's belly in a wagon wheel rut, you know, and that's how you're supposed to live your life. Well, is that true? So I, I'm just like, I've always had a question. What does it mean to deny self? Because there's parts of me that I think I like or that are created in the image of God. Then there's parts of me that aren't so great. You know, just ask my family members. So I have to know Jesus, but then I got to know myself because if I know myself, I know what I need to deny in order to follow him. So that means there's something that stops me from following him, but there's a part of me that wants to know him and follow him. And how do I figure that out? Then he says this, is that you not only need to know him, you not only need to know yourself, you also need to know the world in which you live. Because you notice what he says? He says, take up your cross. What does that mean? Well, in the first century, the cross was the primary way in which the Romans executed everybody. People they didn't like, political prisoners, criminals, anything. If you had rude manners at dinner, you could be on a cross. And that's how they executed people, okay? And so what this is, is this is a, is a concept of sacrifice. I, I have to choose my sacrifice, and so I got to know what the world is trying to do to me to stop me from following Jesus. So do you see how the equation works now? If I want to walk in the fullness of life that Christ has for me, the life fulfillment equation, I've got to know the world and what it's trying to do to me. I got to know myself, right? And what, what, what's going on there. And then I got to know Jesus and follow him. 
Boom, boom, boom. And if you can, you don't need to have a PhD in these things. You don't have to master's degree or college education on it. All you got to do is understand basically these three areas of your life. And what you will do is you will start to walk deeper in the fullness of life and experience the fruit of the spirit in your life. So we want to know Jesus, know ourselves and know the world and what it's trying to do to us. And that helps us grow in our faith. So, this is the point of the equation. If you want to see your soul saved, by salvation we mean restored, whole, free, filled with love, peace, and joy, then you must deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow Jesus. So, Jesus is the first part of this equation, and we're going to use this equation throughout the entire series and and use it as our template to understand what's going on, particularly for women. So, Why is knowing Jesus, ladies, critical for you to be fulfilled, valued, safe, and secure as a woman? Why is that so important to experiencing the unique value, security, fullness, joy of being a woman? Well, the reason why knowing Jesus is so important is because there are two versions of you. How do I know that? Well, we know that because there are two kingdoms. There is the kingdom of this world. And the kingdom of this world has a version of you that it wants you to believe about yourself. And then there is the kingdom of God. And there is a version from him that he wants you to believe about yourself. And guess what? You get to choose which one you believe. The version that the world is trying to get you to adopt or the version that God wants you to adopt in his kingdom. So let's compare these real quick. You know why Jesus knowing him is so important is because if you don't know his version of you, you tend to be influenced and believe the societal version of what it means to be a woman. Uh, Some ladies weren't able to come in and make, uh, because of scheduling conflicts, uh, testimony. And so some of them that I asked to just comment wrote back. And uh, Jessica Olson wrote back, and her answer of what she wrote is so good. I had to read it for you. And this is, this is a societal pressure point for women that they're experiencing today. She says, I feel the pressure to do it all. I must be a loving and supportive wife who doesn't lose the romance, be an involved mom, which means volunteer at school, join the PTO, chaperone field trips, take kids to their extracurriculars, all of them, by the way, Bible study, sports, music, social events, participate at church, make sure they get time with extended family, educate them on the things that school isn't teaching them, make sure you're having family dinners regularly, modeling hospitality, and whatever you do, don't forget, be present. You need to make sure that you're enjoying the moment and not distracted by the thousand things that you're trying to juggle. You also have to take care of yourself, which means exercise, eat healthy, take time for yourself, maintain your hobbies, do things that make you happy, maintain friendships, participate in ministry, be a responsible citizen and participate in politics. 
The list goes on and on. I've also sensed a pressure to be a contributing member of society. In other words, have and develop a career. Ladies, did she nail it? Okay, she got it. That is what happens when the kingdom of this world, the societal version of you, is all you hear. Society's version of who you should be, ladies, is filled with pressure. It tries to get you to conform to its ideal woman through the usage of guilt, emotional guilt. And that comes out as you feel guilty all the time and you feel pressure all the time. And you know the answer that you end up with is this. You're not enough. You're a failure. You're incapable. You're unattractive. No one likes you. You're ugly and you have bad hair. That, that's what you hear because society is saying this is the version. And, and because you don't measure up, it uses emotional guilt to try to get you to conform to it. How is it possible to live a peaceful, fulfilled, loving, joyful, happy life when the pressure on you to do something or do everything, uh, it never goes away? I find that impossible. And that's why society does it, because it wants you to feel like a failure. However, can you trust a societal version of what it means to be a woman that is erasing what makes you so special and unique as a female? That's what this title means, is that our society doesn't value the unique feminine virtues, qualities, and values of women anymore. The, the feminine virtues that women bring to the table are not valued anymore. You're, you're, what, what you're valued for is not nurturing, cradling life. It's not uh, building, pouring yourself into the lives of, of children. Those things aren't valued. The, the feminine virtues that are valued are your sexuality. It's how hot you look. That, that's what it, it does. It says the only feminine virtue our society likes is sexual manifestation of females. And it's everywhere. If you'd like a deep dive on that, listen to uh, our episode that uh, Jesse and I did on the Salty Pastor this last week. The values, as I said earlier, of nurturing, developing life, society doesn't care about that. Society cares only about power. How much power do you have? And so it reduces all relationships to power imbalances. And this, of course, is toxic. Let me ask you a question. Some people think, well, I'm not so sure our society is that bad. And I'm like, well, this is salty. It's not designed to offend. It's only designed to get you to think because we want you to think for yourself. But let me ask you a question. What do all of these things have in common? 
the NCAA's 2022 Woman of the Year Award, the New Zealand Sports Woman Year of Award, Time Magazine's 2022 Cover Woman of the Year, Glamour's 2015 uh, Award for Woman of the Year, USA Today's 2022 Woman of the Year Award. They all have in common that they were won by biological men who think they're women. What does that say if you're a woman? This might be controversial, but I'll say it anyway. What happens when a mediocre dude, an average dude, is voted better than you who is actually a biological female? Does that make any sense? Our society is erasing your value. Because our society wants to erase everything that is awesome about you, what makes you unique and special and valuable. I could go on and on about what society's messages do to females and how it hurts them, but I don't want to spend any more time on that because it's false. I want to talk about the other version. God's version and God's version of who you are is awesome. It begins at the very beginning of the Bible. If you go back to Genesis chapter one in the creation event, you know, listen to what he says. Chapter one, verse 26, he says, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps along the earth. And God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. In the image of God, he created him male and female. Number one. Yeah, you used to get a shout out for that. What does that mean? Well, what that means basically at its core is that your feminine nature is a reflection of the image of God. Your essence represents God's highest creative act. Notice every other thing in creation, if you go and read the first chapter, he says, God said there would be this thing, it happened, and he goes, oh, that's good. But then he gets to this point, and this is where he says, let's create humanity in my image, our image. And so the feminine is just as important as the masculine, as representations of the image of God. And you know what that means? That means that you ladies have been invited to be a co-creator of life with God. People are, babies are not just popping up. There is no stork. Okay? There's no stork. You, you've been invited to be a co-creator. And here's the thing some people say, well, what if I was a female and I never got married and I never bore children or I tried and I couldn't? I, I feel for you, but that is not the point of reflecting the image of God. The fact that, that you were created in that way is in and of itself, whether you bear children or not, of your value in the eyes of God. 
Your, your whole makeup, the, the, not just the fact that you have a uterus and different uh, uh, reproductive organs. What's, it's the way you think and the way you feel and the way you process information, your, your way you view the world around you. The feminine aspect of you is a part of the image of God. And then he says, he says that, look, I want you, he says in, in chapter one there, he says, I want you to rule and manage what? The fish of the sea, the birds of the air, cattle over the, and every creepy crawly thing that crawls upon the earth. So you already are just by the fact that you're female in a position of leadership and responsibility of influence in your sphere, in the way that you do, you've already been given to that by God, by being created in his image. So it's a, it's a wonderful statement from God and the way he created you about your value. And, and the notion that you have control over every creepy crawly thing also means that you can have victory over any insect or bug that ever plagues you. <laughs> Do you like how I set that joke up? Well, I thought that was kind of funny. I could go through the Old Testament. We could read Proverbs 31, we go into Psalms, we go to Isaiah. We could read a lot of other stuff. We don't have time for that. But I want to go to the New Testament because there's some really, really great stuff there. Like Ephesians chapter one is just a phenomenal chapter where Paul lays out the whole point of what it means to become a follower of Christ and what, we ha what happens when we become a part of the family of God. So Ephesians chapter one, I mean, he says all these things. I'll just pull out some highlights. He says, verse five, in love, God predestined us to his adoption as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ unto himself, according, he says, to the kind intention of his will. Listen to that. Uh, it's, it's worded kind of oddly, but listen to what he says. Number one, you are loved by God. In love, God did this. What did he do? He adopted you into his family. You aren't a second-class citizen. You aren't a person that is lesser. Uh, you're none of those things. You are adopted as a child of God. You are not a subject, all right? You are a, you're not an alien. You're not a stranger or a foreigner. You are now a child of God adopted into his family. He goes on to say, and you have been given the blessing of uh, inheritance of every spiritual blessing unto heaven that's poured out upon you who've been adopted into his family. And then he says this, he goes, this is according to the good pleasure of his will. And I like that phraseology because what he's saying is that God did this because it brings him pleasure. He didn't do this begrudgingly or because he had to or because it was fair. He did it because he delights and enjoys you as a female being adopted into his family. So you are an adopted child of the king. If you flip over here to chapter two, I believe it's verse 19. He says, look, you are not a stranger anymore. You are no longer a stranger or foreigner. You are a fellow citizen with the saints. The Greek word for saints is hagia humo. Hagia is the word for holy. So he's saying, you have been made holy uh, with a part of the holy ones. Those who've been made righteous by the blood of Christ. You are of God's household. And this whole deal is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. You are a citizen of his kingdom. That's God's version of who you are. Isn't that different 
than the world's version of who you are. I think that is a really powerful contrast. So my question is, which one do you believe? And how do you actually know which one you believe? You see, if you, and I ask this question not to tell you what to think, but to use it as an evaluative technique, because our goal is to help you grow in your faith, right? That's what we're always trying to do. So you have to come to your own conclusion on this. But if my day and my life is filled with all of this pressure, all of this negative stuff, if I have the voice in my head, right? And ladies, you all have a voice in your head. And the voice in your head constantly is saying to you that you... uh, your life has no value, you can't do it, you don't measure up, you're a constant failure, then you have to ask yourself this simple question, what version of me am I believing? Think about that for a moment. You see all the pressure and the stress and things that are happening in your life. Could that be not something to make you feel guilty to try to get you to conform? Maybe in the kingdom of God, it's an opportunity for you to realize, I don't think I'm really buying into the right version of me. I'm buying into that version, not this version. And here's what's so important. This is not a question of effort. A lot of of women who've grown up in the church go, well, I shouldn't feel this and I shouldn't feel this way. I shouldn't feel bad about myself. I need to do better so that I I think and believe this. I'm going to work harder to believe this. It's not an issue of effort. It's something you can't make happen. It's only something you can receive through the grace of God in your life. You have to deny yourself. You have to open up your arms and say, God, I receive you. See, this is why prayer and spending time with the Lord for you as a woman is so critically important because it's your opportunity to receive God's version of you. You have to know Jesus. And if you don't know him, you don't know what he thinks about you. You don't know what he said about you. You don't know what he's done for you or is doing in you. You have to know Jesus and receive the power of what he is bestowing upon you. It's an issue of belief, not effort. And what do I always say? What you believe is one of the most important things about you. To know Jesus is to know his version of yourself. And so the more you know him, the closer you are to him, the stronger your relationship, the stronger your faith. So the more, what happens? The more that you believe this in the depth of your soul, of his version of who you are is how you walk in the fullness of life. Do you remember what Jesus told the woman of the well in John 4, uh, verses 13 through 14? It's really interesting. He says, uh, he's talking to her. She asks him a question. He sa- she says to him, look, everyone, Jesus says, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, this is what's so interesting. The deed, the water I give him will become in them a spring of life, a breath of life that does what? It wells up within their soul and it just comes splashing out. That's called a full life. 
Now, let me apply this more practically, you know, uh, best I can. Now, because uh, in our community of faith and the people who listen online all the time is that the majority of the women uh, are married or they are dating somebody seriously. Now, if you're single and hopeful, uh, I'm not leaving you out in this at all. I just want to kind of try to be pragmatic to help you figure out, hmm, this is maybe how it applies, okay? And so let me say it this way. The world's version of you, when you're influenced by it, and you're living in it, says the reason I'm not fulfilled, the reason I'm not happy, the reason why is this is it tells you, well, if you would focus on fixing the man in your life, then your life would be so much better. And there's some legitimacy to this right? All, all falsehoods are based in some truth. And the reason why is because your husband is a human being, therefore flawed, and therefore the cause of much of your consternation. That is true. But the fact that your husband is in a certain way, does that actually devalue you as a person? It should not. You should be able to say, well, you know, my, my, my husband has some issues. He has some things to work on, but maybe he even needs therapy. But that doesn't devalue me, right? I'm not devalued because of that. My, my sense of who I am is not wrapped up. And it works with your kids this way. You know, when your kids are five years old and they throw a temper tantrum in the grocery store aisle, you, as a mom, you're embarrassed, aren't you? And you're embarrassed because you know the truth is that it kind of reflects on my parenting style, right? And so you're kind of embarrassed about that. You're like, oh my goodness, this is horrible. This is my worst nightmare coming true. Okay. That isn't true when your kid's 30 years old. You're off the hook. Their lifestyle choices are not your fault. Okay. So, so the thing is, is that if you stay fixated because you're being influenced by this one on fixing somebody or something in your life, or you feel devalued or a lack of influence or a lack of love or whatever, the issue is, is that I'm being influenced by this. I'm not being influenced by this. And oftentimes when you can get to this, the vision that God, version God has of you, and you walk in that, guess what happens to your influence and your impact in people's lives? It goes up, not down. Now I know in sharing this, a lot of guys are thinking, man, I am so happy that my wife has finally heard, my girlfriend has finally heard, you know, that her value is not determined by my flaws or mistakes. I'm so happy she figured, I'm glad she went to church today to finally learn that. So a lot of guys are thinking, guess what this means? I don't have to do that anymore right? It's not my job to build her. She goes, I'm feeling really devalued today. I feel like, you know, you're, you're, you know, you're doing this thing again. We've talked about it before. And he's like, well, that's not my job to make you feel value. That's God's job, honey. So talk to him about it. You know, well, when you get out of the hospital, you're going to think, of, <laughs> kind of rethink a little bit about that approach. And here's why is because look, it says in Ephesians very specifically, that a man who loves his wife is loving himself. So what you should be doing is you should be spending your time, guys, affirming God's version of your wife or your girlfriend as much as possible. If you take seriously the notion of leadership in your family, this is what it means. Leadership is not telling somebody 
what to do. Leadership is affirming them in the version of who God has called them to be. Use her love language to reinforce God's version of her. If you've heard of love languages, you know, maybe hers is words of affirmation, or maybe it's affection or touch, or it's acts of service, or it's gifts. Whatever it is that is her love language, then you should spend your time affirming her through her love language, not in your opinion of who she is. It's like, oh man, I'm so glad that you made dinner tonight. I love this. It's good. But what you ought to do is say, look, it's amazing the sacrifice that you make. God honors this gift that you give whenever you prepare a meal. It's awesome. Or whenever you're doing this with the kids, God honors your sacrifice. You've, you've t- taken up the cross and rejected the world's definition of success. And you've poured yourself into our kids and look at the glory that they bring you because of how well they are doing. If you're a smart man or even an averagely undumb man, <laughs> you're going to say that is important to do is to affirm her, not in who you think she should be, but in who God is calling her to be. The best thing for you guys and your children and for your wife is for her to know and walk in this version. Because as she said right there, you heard it, you saw it, is that when she walks in this version, all she feels is pressure. And when she feels pressure, she doesn't function in her best self at all. But when she can get over here and get in the version of God through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, she becomes the best version. And that is the one that blesses everyone, especially herself. So if you take leading seriously and you're a guy, I would encourage you to plan, organize, create space for her to discover and experience God's version of who she is. I would do that. I would take serious planning and organization and create space for her to do that. The other thing I would do is I would finance it, encourage it as much as possible. Because the best thing you ever do, the best thing you'll ever experience is when she lives and walks in the version of who God is calling her to be. Why? Because there's an equation that Jesus gives us, and this equation gives life, the breath of life to your soul. And it begins with knowing him. So as you pursue him, learn about him, investigate him, begin to walk in him, live in him, and experience the value of his version of who you are. And don't forget that. Because God says, you are the daughter of a king. You are loved by the creator of the universe. You are protected. You are secure. You are adopted and given inheritance by the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Every spiritual blessing in heaven is being poured out on you. When you know this truth, when you know this version, believe it with all of your heart. Because when you believe it with all of your heart, no one person, no one situation, no thing can ever take it away. Let's stand for closing prayer. Jesus, you are the truth And we only know it when we live in you. Amen. God bless you. See you next Sunday.